When I opened the door, John Wynne jumped up and assumed a fighting stance. Leap, or you will die. I held up my hands in surrender, and then realized he couldn't see. Whoa, 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 it's me. John Wynne grabbed a domino from the table and hurled it at my head. Ugh! I ducked, and the domino missed my face by a narrow margin, and clacked against the wall behind me. John Wynne, it's me, your roommate! Dominoes continued to fly at me from all directions. John Wynne was relentless, hucking dominoes at unimaginable speed. I was beginning to worry he had lost his mind in the days that I was away and might not remember me at all. You saw my application. I applied online, remember? I know who you are. Oh crap, is this a standoff? Has he decided to claim the house for his own? You leave for one day, unannounced. 50% chance you died. Two days, death, 100% chance. Three days, you're a ghost. It took a few days before things went back to normal. I explained the Aquaria trip, minus all the weird sex stuff, to John Wynne, and he eyed me suspiciously. You attended as a guest? Yeah, and we can probably continue to get some pretty good food from there, too. John Wynne shook his head and eyed the table. Food is not worth that. I realized then that John Wynne clearly had prior knowledge and sufficient understanding of Aquaria. Oh, no, 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 it's nothing like that. I was caught in between the indignation that John Wynne took me for a whore and the sense of honor that he cared enough to try to parent me. I have done two things this week that John Wynne admonished me strongly against. Number one, I fixed up an old CB radio in the shack down on the beach and have decided to start trying to contact fellow explorers. I'm broadcasting this journal entry now and will leave it on repeat just to see if anyone else is out there. But from now on, I will just broadcast the date and time daily and invite anyone else listening to hop on the call. I think that's how this works anyway. Number two, I've had Luli and Iris over a few times this week already. I was worried John Wynne would kill Luli upon the incident they first met. Luli burst in the door. Wow, this place is awesome. What's that? Luli rushed to the table where John Wynne had already stood in preparation of attack. She grabbed the wooden ship he had been tracing his fingers around. Don't touch that. It's a 16th century Atlantic pirate schooner. Cool. John Wynne was instantly disarmed. How did you know that? It's got to be a schooner or a sloop, due to the fact that it has such a narrow hull. And it's too small to be a sloop, and it has two masts, so schooner, definitely. Schooners are easier to hide and can stay in super small, shallow estuaries. But the disadvantage would be that they have to have a smaller crew. Much like the friendship shared between two animals, sworn enemies, that have to form an alliance due to a greater common threat, cat and dog snuggled together against the cold, John Wynne and Luli became good friends. If it were not for the ship, though, I do wonder if John Wynne would have killed Luli. From their first initial meeting, John Wynne and Luli's relationship became formulaic and predictable. She would enter, and if John Wynne was gone, Luli and I would read the book she had brought from the library. Quietly, and then in random bursts of inspiration, generally mutually agreed upon telepathically as break time, we would discuss new things we had learned or discovered, or Tyrone. If John Wynne was home, however, Luli would take her seat obediently at the table, and John Wynne would bring two cups of black coffee, and set one in front of her and the other in front of himself. He would then question her over each room and floor of the ship, and ask her to run a pipe cleaner down the steps until she had memorized how it would turn into every room. And so, their friendship gradually became one of the oddities of the natural world. Hopefully the spell isn't broken when John Wynne is done playing with his toy. John Wynne and Iris also got along quite well. Iris had found Luli stationed at her place in the library just four days after we left Aquaria. She was permitted to leave under the ruse of bringing home more books to Aquaria, and she came with Luli one day to the shack. And as Luli assumed her position at the table with John Wynne and I my spot on the couch with the book, Iris closed the door. Is there someone else here? I brought egg rolls. 
There was little convincing needed to keep her around after that. Of her, John Wen only said that he liked the quiet one a lot. Um, hello. This is, a uh, Cadaver. I, um, I heard your broadcast. I'm not really sure if you're listening right now, but... Oh, you don't know me, by the way. I guess I shouldn't have introduced myself like that. I'm from Texas, and I know where you're broadcasting from. Like, exactly. Not in a creepy way. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm all over the place. It's been a long time since I've talked to or communicated with uh, anybody, but someone could easily find where you're broadcasting from, and that's dangerous, and they could do something bad if they had ill intention. I, I don't, personally. I'm just saying, oh man, I'm coming off as a total creep. It, anyway, I could tell you how to make your signal anonymous. Um, I guess I kind of want to hear back, and I don't know what your setup is. I'm, I'm, I'm super nervous. I'm sorry. Well, I, I don't know if you're recording, and maybe you should specify in your broadcast if you're gonna be, like, in the broadcast room at a certain time, waiting for the response or whatever, but, um, I can just, like, talk as long as I can, and maybe you'll hear it when you step back in the room, so... The best place to start would have to be the beginning. I'm just gonna read straight out of my journal. I'm, I'm really nervous. My name is Cadaver, and it actually is. This isn't an alias. My parents were morticians. My dad was Japanese, born and raised. My mom was an American from Boston. We moved to Texas when I was six. I grew up helping them set up for funerals and preparing flowers, showing people the snack room as they prepared to see the corpse of their dearly beloved, and so I became accustomed to seeing people in their darkest hours. It was difficult for me to interact with other kids in school. At recess, I couldn't participate in conversations because not many kids wanted to talk about scientific processes behind rigor mortis. Middle school, honestly, was alright. Everyone was on the same track of self-hatred and existential crisis. High school was interesting, to say the least. The year was 2056. It was the summer of my 8th grade, just three years before total collapse. I lost a friend to suicide, and I mourned that friend fully over the summer. I attended her funeral, and I even helped shovel dirt over her coffin. She had told me her plan, and I had told her mine, but I never thought she would do it, and it took me forever not to feel personally responsible. But, as you probably know, things would just get weirder and weirder in the three years following 2056. I went to high school, well prepared for the shit show it would be trying to navigate a new environment, like high school without my best friend, but something different and much worse happened. She was there. The first day of school I walked in, my hair long and over my eyes, pitch black except for the portion of my bangs I bleached white. My nails were painted black too. She was there, in front of my locker, smiling like I'd never seen her do before. She was wearing a white, lace dress, and it was short. Her legs were tan, and her face was flushed with rosy blush. Something was very, very wrong here. Hi, Caddy. Um... Aren't you glad to see me? My heart sank and my blood ran cold. It felt like I was going to lose my lunch through either end or both. She kissed me on the cheek, and her lips were cold. I looked hard into her eyes, and they were dead, and I could see veins running around inside the whites of them. I fainted, and when I awoke, I was surrounded by Tessa's family. The school nurse was holding my hand in the office. Tessa's family opted to have her brought back. 
the nurse explained to me patiently, as if this was the most sensible thing in the entire world. Tessa smiled at her parents brightly, and they both nodded kindly towards me. I said nothing. This was surely the most realistic, inventive nightmare I could have possibly had, ever. I always felt like I was living in a horror novel, each element of my life deliberately scripted to be horrific, unfortunate, and disturbing. I watched her embalming. You're dead. Tessa's family patted her hands tenderly. Well, the hands of the reanimated corpse of Tessa. She looked at me with an alien brightness in her eyes that she had never had while we were friends. As you know, the Neela party have been working on undercover research in restorative brain function, memory and cognition to help patients with forms of degenerative dementia. Don't mansplain to me, Tessa, form of whatever you are. Of course I know what the government has been developing. Election proceedings murky and convoluted beyond my current research and understanding had landed an extremely controversial scientific party to power after generations of widespread pandemics, much like the highly contagious flu, Omicron had people scared and shitless enough to finally turn their trust from politicians and place it in something innovative and new. The Neela party had banked on these fears. When my family donated my body to science, as were my wishes, Tessa stared lovingly into her parents' eyes. That is just objectively false. You wanted to be cremated. You wanted your ashes to grow a tree. You wanted everything to be as natural and chemically free as possible. You hated your family, and they didn't respect your final wishes. I told them how they wanted to be buried. Well, Tessa's mom spoke too gently, but in her voice I almost sensed fear. We decided that Tessa might be a good candidate for testing deep brain re-stimulation. Was she afraid too? Tessa's body was pumped full of all kinds of things. There's no way any scientist on earth was able to restore it to working condition. She was in the ground for too long. Three hours, corrected Tessa's father. Her mother began to look more and more uneasy. Tessa's dad continued to speak. Yes, the science is relatively new and otherworldly, some might say. Odd choice of words. But we were approached by a man just after Tess's proceedings, and he explained to us how we could help so many people who were suffering, and he made us some pretty lucrative offers we couldn't refuse. I had always known Tess's family to suffer from severe affluenza and the occasional bout of evil tendency, but this was far, even for them. By now, Tess's mom looked as though she was sitting on tax. This is about money. I should have known. You people are evil, sick, to bring back a girl who made a tragic decision. I want to be back. I'm getting help. I looked at Tessa's face. Although I was certain it wasn't her, I wanted it to be. I can almost guarantee that this emotion felt all around the world caused the collapse. We knew it wasn't right. We knew it wasn't really them, but we hoped. More than we wished our loved ones a safe and restful trip in the afterlife, we wished for them back. And ultimately, it cost us everything. I wanted this corpse to be Tessa, back and finally admitting that she wanted and needed help, getting better. I wanted this happy, smiling thing, who had the memory of our friendship and looked exactly like my best friend, but acted nothing like her, to be Tessa, so I let it be. Tessa's body and I walked to school together every day. We ate lunch together every day, and we attended and went to school dances together. The year was 2056. It was everything we had talked about waiting for just one more year to see if things got better. It was the dream year, but she hadn't waited and deep, deep down, I knew it wasn't her. The year was 2057, sophomore year of high school. The ad campaign had started. In the digital age, everything moved so fast. 
The basic right acts for reanimated corpses were passed only a year after the science of reanimation was discovered, and by 2057, they had started a social empowerment movement. What's it really like to be friends with a reanimated corpse? Have you ever taken the time to ask? Hi, my name's Josh, and I'm a reanimated corpse. It really hurts when people in the workplace don't treat me with the same warmth and kindness I see others receive. But when I started working at McDongle's, parentheses, this time with less polyurethane, and they hired me on and asked what kinds of things they could do to make me feel more at home, I really felt understood. Sometimes it's as simple as dimming the lights for our reanimated friends, paid for by the NILA Ad Council. By 2059, 10% of the world was reanimate, senior year. That was the year I watched Tessa eat my parents, crack their skulls against the steps of my childhood home, like they were coconuts and dig out raw clumps of their brain with her hands. It was traumatizing. I stood there in the doorway, dumbly. She had just driven me home after our last homecoming dance. My parents had gone to hug her and wish her good night and tell her she could stay at my house if she was too tired to drive. She ate them. Before I could even move, I watched Tessa's body unzip, straight down her center, a long, sleek blob with circular mouth and concentric circles of small, sharp teeth, much like a lamprey stepped out of her body. Look, we're about to take over. The blob walked over my parents' corpses and directly up the steps to stand with me under the porch light. It absorbed both my hands into what might have been its stomach and held them there. Listen, cadaver. I said nothing. My race is about to chow down on all of your people, but obviously I'm no Tessa. My race came down to conquer your planet. We inserted ourselves into your culture, were embraced, but I want to know if I was loved. I have spent so much time with you, I truly think if I have the capacity for what you humans describe as love, I love you. I said nothing. We will eat the human race in a matter of days. Then we will travel the universe for a few years to find another host planet, and such is life. Every five years, insurgents and propaganda, but mostly learning, cultures, and seeing the universe, meeting in strange and beautiful creatures, then destroying everything. I want you to join me, Cadaver. You're different. Fuck no, you're disgusting. You, you ate my parents. Holy shit. And I slit the blob with a knife. The ooze turned to liquid and crashed away, leaving a pile of brains in the spot where my admirer once stood. Needless to say, the collapse was horrific. Those of us who lived through it might find it difficult to say whether we are more haunted by the fact that we walked the earth with dead bodies who we then allowed to eat the brains of our loved ones, or the fact that we were the victims of the hardest trolling campaign ever run in the history of all democracies. Most disturbing still, to me, is that not once did someone mention that Neela Hardy is literally, it's, it's alien spelled backwards for fuck's sake. Anyway, that's my whole life story. I never really know when to stop talking, so I guess I'd better go now. I, I think it's amazing that you have friends. I know that for most people born pre-collapse, we will never truly recover from voting a party into power with a name that it's, it's, it's literally just alien spelled backwards. Voting a party into power and allowing that party to convince us to reanimate the dead, date, and work with and start the civil rights movement for corpses of our loved ones, only to watch them peel out of a human flesh and devour almost everything on Earth before ascending back into space. 
uh, most people can't get over that, but if you can get close to people again, I, I might be able to, too. Anyway, I, I need to stop talking. I, I gotta go. Holy shit! This thing works! And man, emo kids. Yeah, the collapse was hard and it sucked, but the world had to end somehow. Pretty neat. I've got my first responder. Mm, probably problematic that he can track me. Anyway, tune in next time and you'll hear from me if I'm still alive. Mm.